Book Three, Chapter Five, of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Three, Houghton Tower. Chapter Five, The End of Malkin Tower. The shades of night had fallen on Downham Manor House, and with an aching heart and a strong presentiment of ill, Mistress Nutter prepared to quit the little chamber which had sheltered her for more than two months, and where she would willingly have breathed her last sigh if it had been permitted her. Closing the Bible she had been reading, she placed the sacred volume under her arm, and taking up a small bundle containing her slender preparations for travel, extinguished the taper and then descended by a secret staircase, passed through a door, fashioned externally like a cupboard, and entered a summer-house, where she found old Crouch awaiting her. A few whispered words only passed between her and the huntsman, and informing her that the horses were in waiting at the back of the garden, he took the bundle from her, and would fain have relieved her also of the Bible, but she would not part with it, and pressing it more closely to her bosom, said she was quite ready to attend him. It was a beautiful starlit night, the air soft and balmy, and laden with the perfume of the flowers. A nightingale was singing plaintively in an adjoining tree, and presently came a response equally tender from another part of the grove. Mistress Nutter could not choose but listen, and the melody so touched her that she was half suffocated by repressed emotion, for, alas, the relief of tears was denied her. Motioning her somewhat impatiently to come on, Crouch struck into a sombre valley, edged by clipped yew-trees, and terminating in a plantation, through which a winding path led to the foot of the hill whereon the mansion was situated. By daylight this was a beautiful walk, affording exquisite glimpses through the trees of the surrounding scenery, and commanding a noble view of Pendle Hill, the dominant point in the prospect." But even now, to the poor lady so long immured in her cell-like chamber, and deprived of many of nature's choicest blessings, it appeared delightful. The fresh air, redolent of new-mown hay, fanned her pale cheek and feverish brow, and allayed her agitation and excitement. The perfect stillness, broken only by the lowing of the cattle in the adjoining pastures, by the drowsy hum of the door-fly, or the rippling of the beck in the valley, further calmed her and the soothing influence was completed by a contemplation of the serene heavens, wherein were seen the starry host, with the thin bright crescent of the new moon in the midst of them, diffusing a pearly light around her. One blot alone appeared in the otherwise smiling sky, and this was a great ugly black cloud, lowering over the summit of Pendle Hill. Mistress Nutter noticed the portentous cloud, and noticed also its shadow on the hill, which might have been cast by the fiend himself, so like was it to a demonical shape with outstretched wings. But, though shuddering at the idea it suggested, she would not suffer it to obtain possession of her mind, but resolutely fixed her attention on the other and more pleasing objects. By this time they had reached the foot of the hill, and the gate admitted them to a road running by the side of Downham Beck. Here they found the horses in charge of a man in the dark red livery of Nicholas Asherton, and who was no other than Tom Shaw, the rascally cockmaster. 
Delivering the bridles to Crouch, the knave hastily strode away, but he lingered at a little distance to see the lady mount, and then, leaping the hedge, struck through the plantation towards the hall, clinking the money in his pockets as he went, and thinking how cleverly he had earned it. But he did not go unpunished, for it is a satisfaction to record that in walking through the woods he was caught in a gin placed there by Crouch, which held him fast in its iron teeth till morning, when he was discovered by one of the underkeepers, while going his rounds, in a deplorable condition, and lamed for life. Meanwhile, unconscious either of the manner in which she had been betrayed, or of the punishment awaiting her betrayer, Mistress Nutter followed her conductor in silence. For a while the road continued by the side of the brook, and then, quitting it, commenced a long and tedious ascent, running between high banks fringed with trees. The overhanging boughs rendered it so dark that Mistress Nutter could scarcely distinguish the old huntsman, though he was not many yards in advance of her, but she heard the tramp of his horse, and that was enough. All at once, where the boughs were thickest and the road darkest, she perceived a small fiery object on the bank, and in her alarm called out to the huntsman, who, looking back for a moment, laughed, and told her not to be uneasy, for it was only a glow-worm. Ashamed of her idle fears, she rode on, but had not proceeded far, when, looking again at the bank, she saw it studded with the same lights. This time she did not call out or scream, but gazed steadily at the twinkling fires, hoping to get the better of her fears. Her alarm, however, rose to absolute terror, as she beheld the glow-worms, if glow-worms they were, twist together, and form themselves into a flaming brand, such as she had seen in her vision grasped by the angel who had driven her from the gates of paradise. Averting her gaze, she would have hastened on, but a hand suddenly laid upon her bridle held back her horse, and she then perceived a tall, dark man, mounted on a sable steed, riding beside her. The supernatural character of the horseman was manifest, inasmuch as no sound was caused by the tread of his steed, nor did he appear to be visible to Crouch when the latter looked back. Mistress Nutter maintained her seat with difficulty. She well knew who was her companion. "'So, Alice Nutter,' said the horseman at length, in a low, deep tone, "'You have chosen to shut yourself up in a narrow cell, like a recluse, for more than two months, denying yourself all sort of enjoyment, practising severest abstinence, and passing your whole time in useless prayer. Ah, useless! For if you were to pray from now till doomsday, come when it will, a thousand years hence, or to-morrow, it will not save you. When you signed that bond to my master, Sentence was recorded against you, and no power can recall it. Why, then, these unavailing lamentations? Why utter prayers which are rejected, and supplications which are scorned? Shake off this weakness, Alice, and be yourself again. Once you had pride enough, and a little of it would now be of service to you. You would then see the folly of this abject conduct— humbling yourself to the dust only to be spurned, and suing for mercy only to be derided. Pray as loud and long as you will, the ears of heaven will remain ever deaf to you.' "'I hope otherwise,' rejoined the lady meekly. "'Do not deceive yourself,' replied the horseman. 
The term granted you by your compact will not be abridged, but it is your own fault if it be not extended. Your daughter is destroying herself in the vain hope of saving you. Her prayers are as unavailing as your own, and recoil from the judgment thrown unheard. The youth upon whom her affections is fixed is stricken with a deadly ailment. It is in your power to save them both. Mistress Nutter groaned deeply. It is in your power, I say, to save them, continued the horseman, by returning your allegiance to your master. He will forgive your disobedience if you prove yourself zealous in his service, will restore you to your former worldly position, avenge you of your enemies, and accomplish all you may desire with respect to your daughter. He cannot do it replied Mistress Nutter. "'Cannot!' echoed the horseman. "'Try him. For many years I have served you as familiar, and you have never set me the task I have failed to execute. I am ready to become your servant again, and to offer you a yet larger range of control. Put no limits to your desires or ambition. If you are tired of this narrow sphere, take a wider—' Look abroad, but do not shut yourself up in a narrow cell and persuade yourself you are accomplishing your ultimate deliverance, when you are only wasting precious time, which might be more advantageously and far more agreeably employed. While laughing at your folly, my master deplores it, and he has therefore sent me as to one for whom, notwithstanding all derelictions from duty, he has still a regard, with an offer of full forgiveness, providing you return to him at once, and renew your covenant, proving your sincerity by casting from you the book you hold under your arm. "'Your snares are not laid subtle enough to catch me,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'I will never part with this holy volume which is my present safeguard, and on which I build my hopes of salvation.' hopes which your very proposals have revived in my breast, for I am well assured your master would not make them if he felt confident of his power over me. No, I defy him, and you, and I command you in heaven's name to get hence, and to tempt me no longer. As the words were uttered, with a howl of rage and mortification like the roar of a wild beast, the dark horseman and his steed vanished. Alarmed by the sound, Crouch stopped, and questioned the lady as to its cause, but receiving no satisfactory explanation from her, he bade her ride quickly on, affirming it must be the boggart of the clough. Soon after this they again came upon Downham Beck, and were about to cross it, when their purpose was arrested by a joyous barking, and the next moment Grip came up. The dog, it appeared, had been shut up in the stable, his company not being desired on the expedition, but contriving in some way or other to get out, he had centred his master's course, and in the end overtaken him. Crouch did not know whether to be angry or pleased, and at first gave utterance to an oath, and raised his whip to chastise him. But almost instantly the latter feeling predominated, and he welcomed the faithful animal with a few kind words. "'I suppose they thought I couldn't do without the grip,' he said. "'And mayhap thou wert right.' 
They are now across the beck, and speeding over the wide brown waste. The huntsman warily shapes his course, so as to avoid any limestone quarries or turf-pits. He points out a jack-o'-lantern, dancing merrily on the surface of a dangerous morass, and tells a dismal tale of a traveller lured into it by the delusive light and swallowed up. Mistress Nutter pays little heed to him, but ever and anon looks back, as if in dread of someone behind her, but no one is visible, and she only sees the great black cloud still hovering over Pendle Hill. On, on they go, their horses' hooves now splashing through the wet sod, now beating on the firm but elastic turf. A merry ride it would be if their errand were different, and their hearts free from care. The air is fresh and reviving, and the rapid motion exhilarating. The stars shine out, and the crescent moon is still glittering in the heavens, but the black cloud hangs motionless on Pendle Hill. Now and then some bird of night flies past them, and they hear the whooping of the owl, and see him skimming like a ghost over the waste. Then more fen-fires arise, showing that other treacherous quagmires are at hand, but Crouch skirts them safely. Now the bullfrog croaks in the marsh, and a deep booming tells of a bittern passing by. They see the mighty bird above them, with his wide heavy wings and long neck. Grip howls at him, but is instantly checked by his master, and they gallop on. They are now by the side of Pendle Water, and within sight of Rough Lee. What tumultuous thoughts agitate the lady's breast! The ground she tramples on was once her own. The woods by the riverside were planted by her. The mansion before her once owned her as mistress, and now she dares not approach it. Nor does she desire to do so, for the sight of it brings back terrible recollections, and fills her again with despair. They are now close upon it, and it appears dark, silent, and deserted. How different from what it was of yore in her husband's days, the husband she had foully slain! Speed on, old huntsman, lash your panting horse, or the remorseful lady will far outstrip you, for she rides as if the offending furies were at her heels. She is rattling over the bridge, and Crouch toiling after her, and with grip toiling after him, shouts to her to moderate her pace. She looks back, and beholds the grim old house frowning full upon her, and hurries on. Huntsman and dog are left behind for a while, but the steep ascent soon compels her to slacken speed, and they come up, crouch swearing lustily, and grip with his tongue out of his mouth, limping as if footsore. The road now leads through a thicket. The horses stumble frequently, for the stones are loose, and the footing consequently uncertain. Crouch has a fall, and ere he can remount, the lady is gone. It is useless to hurry after her, and he is proceeding slowly, when Grip, who is a little in advance, growls fiercely, and looks back at his master, as if to intimate that danger is at hand. The huntsman presses on, but he is too late, if indeed he could at any time have rendered effectual assistance. A clearing in the thicket shows him the lady dismounted, and surrounded by several wild-looking men armed with calivers. Part of the band bear her shrieking off, and the rest fire at him, but without effect, and then chase him as far as the steepest part of the hill, down which he dashes, followed by grip. Arriving at the bottom, he pauses to listen if he is pursued, and hearing nothing further to alarm him, debates with himself what is best to be done, and not liking to alarm the village, 
for that would be to betray Mistress Nutter, he gets off his horse, ties him to a tree, and with grip close at his heels, commences the ascent of the hill by a different road from that he had previously taken. Meanwhile, Mistress Nutter's captors drag her forcibly towards the tower. Their arms and appearance left her no doubt they were depredators, and she sought to convince them she had neither money nor valuables in her possession. They laughed at her assertions, but made no other reply. Her sole consolation was that they did not seek to deprive her of her Bible. On reaching the tower a signal was given by one of the foremost of the band, and the steps being lowered from the high doorway she was compelled to ascend them, and being pushed along a short passage obscured by a piece of thick tapestry, but which was drawn aside as she advanced, she found herself in a circular chamber, in the midst of which was a massive table covered with flasks and drinking-cups, and stained with wine. From the roof, which was crossed by great black beams of oak, was suspended a lamp with three burners, whose light showed that the walls were garnished with petronels, rapiers, poniards, and other murderous weapons. Besides these there were hung from pegs long riding-cloaks, sombreros, vizards, and other robber accoutrements, including a variety of disguises, from the clown's frieze jerkin to the gentleman's velvet doublet, ready to be assumed on an emergency. Here and there was an open valise, or a pair of saddle-bags with their contents strewn about the floor, and on a bench were a dice-box and shuffle-board, showing with the flasks and goblets on the table how the occupants of the tower passed their time. A steep ladder-like flight of steps led to the upper chamber, and down these, at the very moment of Mistress Nutter's entrance, descended a stalwart personage, who eyed her fiercely as he leapt upon the floor. There was something in the man's truculent physiognomy, and strange and oblique vision, that reminded her of Mother Demdike. "'Welcome to Malkin Tower, madam,' said the robber, with a grin, and doffing his cap with affected courtesy. "'We have met before, but it is many years ago.' and I dare say you will have forgotten me. You will guess who I am when I tell you my mother occupied this tower before me. Finding Mistress Nutter made no remark, he went on. I am Christopher Demdike, madam. Captain Demdike, I should say. The brave fellows who have brought you hither are part of my band. Until lately, Northumberland and the borders of Scotland used to be our scene of action but chancing to hear of my worthy old mother's death, I thought we could not do better than take possession of her stronghold, which devolved upon me by right of inheritance. Since our arrival here we have kept ourselves very quiet, and the country folk, taking us for spirits or demons, never approach our hiding-place, while as our depredations are confined to distant parts, our retreat has never been suspected.' "'This concerns me very little,' observed Mistress Nutter coldly. "'Pardon me, madam, it concerns you very much, as you will learn anon. "'But be seated, I pray you,' he said with mock civility. "'I am keeping you standing all this while.' But as the lady declined the attention, he went on. "'I was fortunate enough, on first going back to this part of the country, "'to pick up an acquaintance with your relative, Nicholas Asherton, who invited me to stay with him at Downham, and was so well pleased with my society that he could not endure to part with me. "'Indeed!' exclaimed Mistress Nutter. "'Are you the person he calls Lawrence Fogg?' 
the same, replied Demdike. And no doubt you would hear a good report of me, madam. Well, it suited my purpose to stay, for I was very hospitably entertained by the squire, who, except being rather too much addicted to lectures and psalm singing, is as pleasant an host as one could desire. Besides which, he was obliging enough to employ me to borrow money for him, and what I got or kept, you may be sure. I would willingly be spared the details of your knavery, said Mistress Nutter, somewhat impatiently. I am coming to an end, rejoined Demdike, and then, perhaps, you may wish I had prolonged them. All the squire's secrets were committed to me, and I was fully aware of your concealment in the hall, but I could never ascertain precisely where you were lodged. I meant to carry you off, and only awaited the opportunity which presented itself to-night. "'If you think to obtain money from me, you will find yourself mistaken,' said Mistress Nutter. "'I have parted with all my possessions.' "'But to whom, madam?' cried Demdike, with a sinister smile. "'To your daughter?' "'and I'm sure she's too gentle, too tender-hearted "'to allow you to suffer when she can relieve you. "'You must get us a good round sum from her, "'or you will be tamed here long. "'The dungeons are dark and unwholesome, "'and my band are apt to be harsh in their treatment of captives. "'They have found in the vault some instruments of torture "'belonging to old Blackburn, the freebooter.' the efficacy of which, in an obstinate case, I fear they might be inclined to try. You now begin to see the drift of my discourse, madam, and understand the sort of men you have to deal with. Barbarous fellows, madam, inhuman dogs. And he laughed coarsely at his own jocularity. It may put an end to this discussion, said Mistress Nutter firmly, if I declare that no torture shall induce me to make any such demand from my daughter. "'You think perhaps I'm jesting with you, madam?' rejoined Demdike. "'Oh, no, I believe you capable of any atrocity,' replied the lady. "'You do not, either in feature or deals, belie your parentage.' "'Oh, say you so, madam?' cried Demdike. You have a sharp dog, I find. Courtesy is thrown away on you. What, old lads, Kenyon and Loughton, take the lady down the vaults, and there let her have an hour for solitary reflection. She may change her mind in that time. Do not think it, cried Mistress Nutter resolutely. If you continue obstinate, we will find means to move you, rejoined Demdike in a taunting tone. "'But what has she got beneath her arm? "'Give me the book. "'What's this a Bible? "'A witch with a Bible? "'It should be a grimoire. <laughs> "'Give it me back, I implore of you,' shrieked the lady. "'I shall be destroyed, soul and body, "'if I have it not with me. "'What? "'You're afraid the devil may carry you off without it?' <laughs> "'Roared Demdike. "'Well, that would not suit my purpose at present. "'Here, take it.' And now off with her lads, without more ado. And as he spoke, a trap-door was opened by one of the robbers, disclosing a flight of steps leading to the subterranean chambers, down which the miserable lady was dragged. Presently the two men reappeared, with a grim smile on their ruffianly countenances, and as they closed the trap-door, one of them observed to the captain that they had chained her to a pillar by removing the band from the great skeleton, 
and passing it round her body. "'You have done well, lads,' replied Demdike approvingly, "'and now go on all of you and scour the hilltop and return in an hour, and we will decide upon what is to be done with this woman.' The two men then joined the rest of their comrades outside, and the whole troop descended the steps, which were afterwards drawn up by Demdike. This done, the robber captain returned to the circular chamber, and for some time paced to and fro, revolving his dark schemes. He then paused, and placing his ear near the trap-door, listened, but as no sound reached him he sat down at the table, and soon grew so much absorbed as to be unconscious that a dark figure was creeping stealthily down the narrow staircase behind him. "'Oh, can I get rid of Nicholas Asherton?' he exclaimed at length. "'or oh, somehow fancy we shall meet again, "'and yet all should be over with him by this time.' "'Look round,' thundered a voice behind him. "'Nicholas Asherton is not to be got rid of so easily.' At this unexpected summons Demdike started to his feet, and recoiled aghast as he saw what he took to be the ghost of the murdered squire standing before him. A second look, however, convinced him that it was no phantom he beheld, but a living man armed for vengeance and determined upon it. "'Get a weapon, villain!' cried Nicholas, in tones of concentrated fury. "'I do not wish to take unfair advantage even of thee!' Without a word of reply, Demdike snatched a sword from the wall, and the next moment was engaged in deadly strife with the squire. They were well matched, for both were powerful men, both expert in the use of their weapons, and the combat might have been protracted and of doubtful issue, but for the irresistible fury of Nicholas, who assaulted his adversary with such vigour and determination that he speedily drove him against the wall, where the latter made an attempt to seize a petronel hanging beside him, but his purpose being divined, he received a thrust through the arm, and dropping his blade lay at the squire's mercy. Nicholas shortened his sword, but forbore to strike. Seizing his enemy by the throat, he hurled him to the ground, and, planting his knee on his chest, called out, "'What o, Nance?' "'Nance!' exclaimed Demdike. "'Did it was that mischievous jide who brought you here?' "'Aye,' replied the squire, as the young woman came quickly down the steps, "'and I refused her aid in the conflict, "'cause I felt certain of mastering thee, "'and cause I would not take odds even against such a treacherous villain as thou art.' "'Better dispatch him, squire,' said Nance. "'He may do you mischief yet.' "'No, no,' replied Nicholas. "'He's unworthy of a gentleman's sword. "'Besides, I've sworn to hang him, and I will keep my word. "'Go down in balls and liberate Mistress Nutter while I bind him, "'for we must take him with us. "'Tomorrow he shall lie in Lancaster Castle with his kinfolk.' "'That remains to be seen,' muttered Demdike. "'Be on your guard, squire!' cried Nance, as she lifted a small lamp and raised the trap-door. With this caution she descended to the vaults, while Nicholas, looking about for a thong, and perceiving a rope dangling down the wall near him, he seized it, drawing it with some force towards him. A sudden sound reached his ears. Clang! Clang! He had rung the alarm-bell violently. Clang! 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 Would it never stop? Taking advantage of his surprise and consternation, Demdike got away from under him, sprang to his feet, and rushing to the doorway, instantly let fall the steps, roaring out, "'Treason! To the rescue, my men! To the rescue!' 
His cries were immediately answered from without, and it was evident from the tumult that the whole of the band were hurrying to his assistance. Not a moment was to be lost by the squire. Plunging through the trap-door, he closed it after him, and bolted it underneath, at the very moment the robbers entered the chamber. Demdike's rage at finding him gone was increased, when all the combined efforts of his men failed in forcing open the trap-door. "'Take hatchets and hew it open!' he cried. "'We must have them. I've heard there is a secret outlet below, and though I've never been able to discover it, it may be known to Nance. I'll go outside and watch. If you hear me whistle, come forth instant!' And rushing forth, he was making the circuit of the tower, and examining some bushes at its base, when his throat was suddenly seized by a dog, and before he could even utter an exclamation, much less sound his whistle or use his arms, he was grappled by the old huntsman, and dragged off to a considerable distance, the dog still clinging to his throat. Meanwhile Nicholas had hurried down into the vaults, where he found Nance sustaining Mistress Nutter, who was half fainting, and, hastily explaining what had occurred, she consigned the lady to him, and then led the way through the central range of pillars, and past the ebon image, until she approached the wall, when, holding up the lamp, she revealed a black marble slab between the statues of Blackburn and Isole. Pressing against it, the slab moved on one side, and disclosed a flight of steps. "'Go up there,' cried Nance to the squire, "'and when you get to the top you'll find another stone with a knob in it. You canna miss it. Go on!' "'But you,' cried the squire, "'will you not come with us?' "'I'm come presently,' replied Nance, with a strange smile. "'I have somewhat to do first. "'That cunning fox Demdike has set a trap for himself and all his followers, "'and it's for me to catch em. "'Wait for me about a hundred yards from tower. "'No nearer, you understand?' Nicholas did not very clearly understand, but concluding Nance had some hidden meaning in what she said, he resolved unhesitatingly to obey her. Having got clear of the tower, as directed with Mistress Nutter, he ran on with her to some distance, when what was his surprise to find Crouch and Grip keeping watch over the prostrate robber chief? A few words from the huntsman sufficed to explain how this had come about, but they were scarcely uttered when Nance rushed up in breathless haste, crying, "'Off! Feathered off! As you value your lives!' Seeing from her manner that delay would be dangerous, Nicholas and Crouch laid hold of the prisoner, and bore him away between them, while Nance assisted Mistress Nutter along. They had not gone far when a rumbling sound, like that preceding an earthquake, was heard. All looked back towards Malkin Tower. The structure was seen to rock, flames burst from the earth, and with a tremendous explosion heard for miles around, which shook the ground where Nicholas and the others stood, the whole of the unhallowed fabric, from base to summit, was blown into the air, some of the stones being projected to an extraordinary distance. A mine charged with gunpowder, it appeared, had been laid beneath the vaults by Demdike, with a view to its destruction at some future period, and this circumstance being known to Nance, she had fired the train. Not one of the robbers within the tower escaped. The bodies of all were found the next day, crushed, burned or frightfully mutilated. End of chapter 5